You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Wednesday, August the 9th, a beautiful sunny morning here in TW11. And news just come through to us this morning that Little Big Bear, last year's champion two-year-old, has retired. Uh, he has been retired with a condylar fracture. This is a horse who uh, was eased off quite sharply in the July Cup when we last saw him. He was uh, then, we were told, an intended runner in the pre-Morris de Geest at Deauville, uh, but what they thought was a, a bruise last week kept him out of that. He has now been retired to Coolmore with a condylar fracture. He won last year's Phoenix Stakes in scintillating fashion, and this year, Aidan O'Brien, his trainer, will seek, and this weekend as well, another victory in that race. I think he's 18th. Um, but we don't know at this stage which of the, the two major horses he's going to run. I spoke to Ballydoyle earlier this morning. Whilst they paid tribute to Little Big Bear, they suggested it would either be um, Unquestionable or River Tiber, but not both in the Phoenix Stakes. That's the key piece of news there. Not both horses in the Phoenix Stakes. One would go here, one would go to Ireland, Graham would play a major part, and whichever one did run in the Phoenix Stakes would be accompanied by a stable companion, but likely not more than one. That is what Aidan O'Brien has told us this morning. So uh, last year's Phoenix Stakes winner retired, sensational two-year-old, whilst he won at three, not quite as good for sure. And the two two-year-olds, well, their future in front of them. One goes this weekend, one goes next weekend. And the big feature at Deauville this weekend is the Jacques Lemaire, more of which later in the programme. The sauna debate continues to rage on here in the UK. Wilf Walsh, the chair of the Racecourse Association, gave an interview to me yesterday in which he set out the industry's position, its plans, its plans to remodel um, jockeys' facilities across the country and the removal of saunas as part of that and uh, at the behest of an industry-wide move uh, which had, at the time, the support of the Professional Jockeys Association. Um, that interview provoked more direct response from jockeys that I've ever had on any issue before, and that includes the whip, and by a factor of goodness knows how many. Tom Marquand spoke earlier in the week on ITV. He wanted to speak to me again in direct response to, to Wilf Walsh's comments, and I asked him uh, how he felt about what he heard yesterday. Jockeys as a whole sort of... of, of, of well, I, I think it's fair to say taking offence to being told what they should and shouldn't be doing and what's safe and what's not safe and what's damaging and what's not damaging because ultimately we're the ones living in it and having to do it and, you know, we aren't... Um, you know, waking up in the morning and saying, "Oh, I'd love to, I'd love to have a sweat today." It's a, it's a, it's a necessity and it's part of our lives. And I think being being fed lines like we're we're endangering the people around us uh, and ourselves by sweating and riding dehydrated is just it, it, it's a, it's a it's a ridiculous thing to say. I can safely say I've never had more than a three-day riding ban in my entire career and of that I think only one of them was a three-day ban uh, and, and, and this is from 
daily dehydration, which is the reality of some jockeys' lives. I'm very fortunate I'm busy, but life of a jockey is successfully managing your weight. Yeah, 19% do it by sweating daily. 34% sweat two or more days per week. And this is from a survey fed out to the jockeys. So, you know, that's that's the reality of dehydrating and, and riding while dehydrated, not not what we're sort of being fed into the into into the news and uh, into the sort of it, in, into our twitter feeds as such. yeah the, the the liverpool john moore study that you've probably heard quoted at you several times talks about the effect of dehydration having a, a two to four pound performance effect on 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 a rider in a race it, is it reasonable then to assume that if you're sweating daily if you weren't sweating daily, your performance would be improved by two to four, two to four pounds. Is that is that a reasonable uh, conclusion to draw from that? I'll be I'll be perfectly honest. I don't think so. No. Um, you know, look, I think this is something that jockeys feed into their lives over a very long period of time, and it's not something that you know it doesn't get sprung upon you. you you learn about your body you learn how you do it efficiently and not efficiently i think the the john moore's university came to the conclusion that it was different in three percent in um physical difference in strength i mean three percent if 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 I woke up at the start of the week having horrendous food poisoning and was uh, probably turned up to the races 20 percent under and yet i still rode two winners and that's the nature of our game it's not it's not about half a percent here of the jockey or half a percent there or yeah. two or three percent. In reality, we're not the ones running 100 metres for the horse. The, the, the horse is the, the athlete in the equation. You know, we are the ones steering them. And obviously we're working physically, but, but, but it's not like a three percent dip in physical performance is the, is the make or break in the situation. Why do you think we've arrived at this point? Because there was a general feeling sort of as we as we came out of the pandemic and I, I spoke to a lot of your colleagues who seemed to be massively in favor of the idea of, of no saunas and it seemed that those who wanted saunas were in a bit of a, a, a an albeit quite quiet minority maybe they maybe there were more shy people who, who did want it and weren't weren't putting their heads above the parapet why do you think we've we, we've we're in a different place now to where we were a year or so ago um yeah I, like I, I suppose the thing is you know, this all came about because of COVID, losing the saunas, and, and jockeys were very understanding of that. And, and and so was the BHA, and so was Jerry Hill, hence why we ended up with the extra £2 allowance, um, which, when that initial survey was done, it was put to jockeys as, would you like saunas back, or would you like to keep the £6 allowance? And, and there was no... Um, there was no, or would you like saunas if there was no four pounds? So, you know, as you can tell by that, obviously the vast majority of jockeys are going to say, uh, well, yes, we'd like the six pound allowance because they weren't, we, we weren't needing to knock off that extra couple of pounds each day. Um, you know, you were able to do your sweating at home, but you weren't sweating as much because you had an extra two pounds to play with. But however, when... When the new survey came out, that's when this, this um, you know, the data that I've got now in front of me, it was was shown, and it is that, that, that as I said, 19% of jockeys in this country sweat daily, 
80% sweat two or more days daily. 74% of jockeys use hot baths. 64% use sweatsuits. So... Is that, is, that, is that the percentage of the people who actually responded to the survey or is that the percentage of all jockeys? That's the jockeys that are in the survey. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's fair to say that, that even if that is just the jockeys that responded to the survey and not all jockeys, that it's a very fair representative figure of uh, what the reality of living as a jockey is like. We're being told this by people that aren't jockeys and haven't been a jockey and, and I think... You know, our, our reality is coming, like today, four and a half, five hours up the road to Ripon for an evening meeting, carrying eight stone 12. And, you know, my my daily weight, being fit and sensible with a diet, is waking up between nine stone and nine stone two every day. Now, my minimum weight is eight stone seven. And when I go to Japan, I get down to eight stone six. So the reality is the shortfall has to come from dehydration. Now, we all know our bodies, we all know our limits, and we all know where we can push to, but I can't I can't sit in a car for five hours on the way up to Ripon and just magically lose two and a half pounds. Like, it doesn't happen, it can't happen, it's not physiologically possible. So the only way to be able to ride eight stone 12, which is five pounds above my minimum weight, is to have a, is to have a swim. I read, I read, Tom, today that there were some race courses that were, if not encouraging, at least letting it be known that there were sauna facilities in adjacent properties or hotels or even hotels on, on their land and were saying, there you go, have at it, but it's not our responsibility. Is that true? Absolutely true. Um, and and, and, and this, is, this is what's been so frustrating for, from the jockey's point of view. If you haven't been organised, you actually have to pay £12.50 or whatever it is. So instantly you're eating away at a jockey's income. Um, for that day so you know the guys and girls that are going for one ride and need to lose their weight they're instantly losing 12 pound 50 which is what eight eight or nine percent of a riding fee which is a significant amount um once it's accrued through the year of having to do that multiple times and and then as well you're you know as a professional jockey you're then put in that scenario of okay potentially you're going into that sauna with people that might have banned substances in them for, 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 for our sport of what we're being tested for. They might have, uh, you know, they might have been at the races the day before from the previous evening meeting and they're in there having their uh, sweat to freshen up before going racing as a punter for that day. And, you know, as a jockey, we're professionals. And, 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 the, and the BHA are so keen to a picture of, um, you know, jockeys are athletes. And that's fantastic. But we have to, we have to, have the facilities and, and be treated like athletes and grown-ups, to be perfectly honest. But there's, there's a lot of lads up north, I know, when they go up to Hamilton, there's, there's a leisure club just around the corner and they all go in there and sweat because Hamilton's a hike, even for the boys that live up north. And, and you know, they, they're going and spending, I think it's 25 or £30 pounds to go and use a leisure centre to sweat when there's a, a sauna at Hamilton that they could just walk into, use for free in a professional space, whilst being supervised with medical staff on, on site and other jockeys around and valets and it, it's a it's a bizarre bizarre situation we've ended up in uh, away from jockeys' well-being and, and what's actually best. All right, Tom. Thanks so much for your time. Not at all. Tom Marquand there, uh, in between racing at, at Ripon last night, and, and so passionate about this subject that, that he contacted me and said, I, I need to respond again. 
to to what Wilf Walsh, the chair of the Racecourse Association, was saying on the on the podcast yesterday. Rishi Passat is with me today. Rishi, I make no apology for for leading with this story uh, for a, for a few days in a row because it seems mm. so much heat in in this at the moment. Um, no no pun intended. There's a lot of emotion currently being shown by a number of uh, members of the weighing room. And it's understandable. I think Tom Marquand, the specifics of what he was saying really boils down to the fact that so many people have an opinion now on the use of saunas on British race courses or the lack of use of saunas in British race courses um, when they feel the jockeys, or clearly a majority of the jockeys or a lot of jockeys, senior jockeys, believe that it's really their call because it's their lives, their careers, their decision-making processes, their routines, how to get their bodies and their preparations ready to compete on a day's racing. Uh, and they find it hard to accept that other people are making that decision and having those conversations um, without their input, without their significant input. But I also understand the position of sport, which is, you know, it, it seems like we're going left, right, centre, back, forward. It's going all over the shop. I mean, yesterday's conversation that you had with, with Lee Mottershead talking about, you know, some people's view of it, Nick. Lee referred to the article that he wrote um, where he quoted Jamie Spencer saying that saunas should be done away with and should never come back because if jockeys are needing to dehydrate um, and lose weight 15, 20 minutes, half an hour before a race, it's not good for them. You know, Jim Crowley said something similar when he was on, I think, ITV. He actually said that when the news came through that saunas were going to be done away with, he actually said he th thought that was a positive step for the sport. Um, and obviously, there have been the studies that you referred to uh, in the conversations yesterday, the studies you referred to in the conversation with uh, Tom Marquand. So it makes it very difficult for the sport to have got to this position where the saunas don't exist to then do a U-turn. Uh, flip turn and go right okay well we'll bring them back because the jockeys are saying that's what they want <clears throat> when we've had so much evidence to the contrary from both riders um, and also from the science involved it is a very awkward situation but the but what i find hard to accept is that the sport has ended up in this position when a conversation directly between the jockeys and the authorities whether it's the rca the bha etc could have made this a lot easier. It's another example, I'm afraid to say, the PGA, uh, unfortunately, not doing the, or not seemingly communicating between the bodies and their members properly to end up in this situation well, once again. Well, I'll, I'll, I'm, I will read you the, the following quote from the PGA in, in 2021. So it's not as though this was an eon ago. Um, mm -hmm. Having consulted with our members, the PJA, Professional Jockey Association, supports the permanent closure of saunas. 88% of the 190 jockeys who responded to our recent survey voted for their removal, with just 8% wanting them to remain. Now, that is a sort that is a survey perhaps that very few members have completed. Yeah. And Tom Markwood is saying that the current survey is 60%, but clearly there's been a change in mindset as well because of the revisions to what allowances jockeys can have. Uh, during and, and post-COVID. Yeah, um, when you spoke to Wilf Walsh yesterday, he highlighted the fact of the, the PJA's involvement in the whip debate, um, and now this. Something's clearly not right to have reached the situation where the PJA put out a statement like you've just read, um, which, by all accounts, it seems like if you get that information as a responsible body, you're going to work with that 
that fact that, that they're accepting that saunas are going to be done away with. I, I, I think that, I think there's a there's a there's another point to note here, and it's something we've touched on this week, but maybe haven't explored a little bit more, and that is mindset during COVID and mindset post COVID. Now, during COVID, everyone I think accepted that riding at fewer meetings, not herring around the country so much, not having saunas on the track, all these things, and uh, a, an albeit temporary allowance for jockeys just to, to make weight and make life a bit easier, all these things were contributing to a a, a better um, atmosphere and and generally a, a, be, a, a better well-being amongst the, mm. amongst the riders. I, I counsel myself against saying mental health there because because that has been used in this debate on the other side, as you heard in, in Tom's interview. But I think that applied to all yep. of us, Rishi, in a sense, during COVID. I, I would say yep. that my well-being improved because I wasn't that busy in terms of herring around the country. I wasn't flying internationally. I was staying at home most days. Therefore, I was getting out and do, doing exercise, being healthier, eating better, spending more time with my family. That's a utopian situation. If somebody had put a questionnaire in front of me then and said, do you want all these things to sustain? I'd have said yes. But the real, practical realities of it, and in order to live my life and and earn a living, whatever, that's that's just simply not possible because we went back to to warp speed, actually relatively quickly compared to most other industries. And so applying applying principles that held true during the rarefied days of COVID don't necessarily uh, hold true now. And and it's interesting that Jerry Hill, Dr. Jerry Hill from the VHA. Uh, expressed in an article back in 2017 that Greg Wood mm. wrote up in The Guardian yeah. um, that he wanted away with saunas um, for all the health reasons that have been have been expounded over the last few days. And it was, a, a, you wonder, had COVID not not turned up, whether mm. whether actually we'd be in this situation now. And it was a similar situation in Ireland where saunas were, 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 were done away with under proposals last year off the back of COVID. Well, what I would say to that, Nick, is that um, yes, I agree that whilst COVID provided an opportunity for so many of us to actually improve our overall well-being, um, and whilst it's hard to replicate that once things have come back to what we uh, use inverted quotes normal, um, there are lessons to have been learned from that period. And going back to that article that Jerry Hill mentioned in twenty that you mentioned in twenty seventeen in the Guardian, where he said that ideally one day he would like saunas. Uh, or jockeys to to find saunas redundant, no longer having to make weight in a a very short space of time, but having the opportunity to or the ability to make the weight most of the time without having to crash their weight. Um, if there was a lesson that could have been learned during the COVID period, and that is the ultimate ambition, that's the ultimate dream. Is there not some way that you can compromise on working towards that? Now, I'm not saying that not having saunas is the is the ideal in the jockey's sense of uh, how they operate. But one day, which is what Jerry Hill was saying in that article, one day, and he said it may not even happen during his lifetime. One day, is that not where we ought to be working, that yeah. um, jockeys will yeah. be in a position, whether it's by the increase of weights, better nutrition, all the, all the things that we already know about. You know, Could we not head, head that way? And COVID offered us an opportunity to have a look at how things might operate in that sort of environment and learn a lesson. So whilst it's hard to replicate what happens now that we're back to normal, yeah, are we just going to abandon what we I, learned from that? I think an, another key point to note is is that racing's um, magic money tree has been found wanting again, hasn't it? <laughs> it's, 
if you if you were to shake it, you would be able to, you know, whatever your ethics on the sauna situation, if you were to shake racing's magic money tree here, you would be mm. able to have a, a, a spanking new male and female changing room, changing facility, mm. all standard and all compliant with all safeguarding regulations on every race course. And if saunas were um, deemed necessary, reasonable, safe, you could have that as well. I, I am, I'm uncomfortable with this confusion between what is ethical and what is practical mm. in, in this debate. And i.e., saying right, well, we're having to repurpose and refit all these weighing rooms for the for the modern age. Quite right, but that mm. is a. I think that is a somewhat separate argument for whether or not there is a case for the leg- legitimate use uh, of saunas. I don't think you can simply say, well, we can't. We we need that space to to. to, to well, you know, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're you're right. I think the idea of having a conversation about what is ethically correct, what is practically correct, without the context of the costs and money, and what people are willing to spend, is almost impossible. You have to be honest about it and have to say, um, you know, whether or not that this is a, a huge factor in all the conversations. And without wanting to say something, without being one hundred percent certain, you would be surprised if finance wasn't a great uh, motivating uh, factor in all the conversations that we're having. But hopefully it plays second fiddle to jockeys' welfare, jockeys' own perception of their own uh, their own health and well-being and how they look after themselves. Mm. And I think uh, just a, one final point to make on this is that there will be a lot of people listening who will be thinking to themselves, well, if, if you know that you're your comfortable riding weight is X. Why don't you just keep yourself a few pounds above X at all times? Yeah. But we're dealing with such fine margins. Yeah. And agents have to book rides for for jockeys in advance on the basis that they believe that they can draw a certain weight. I think wherever you wherever you set that threshold, you're always going to get as close to it as you you're always going to have to get as close to it as you need to. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Always. Yeah. You're going to have to, to ride that threshold as close as you can. It's just the very nature of, of the game. And the reason why there isn't this huge allowance that there was during COVID uh, anymore is because the, the sport doesn't want a situation whereby what weights horses are actually carrying and what weights are published you know, very incredibly wildly because then that becomes a, a betting integrity issue. Absolutely. That's, a, you know, obviously I know you talked about it with Lee yesterday. That's a, a huge point to consider in the whole debate. Um, one other thing that I'd like to throw into the mix, Nick, is the fact that for a long period of time, you know as well as I do, when we're broadcasting, we tend to um, glamorise. I thought you were perhaps... going to say, I thought you were going to say sweat then. <laughs> 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 uh, I'm pretty certain you and I never had to do that to to, to go on air. Um, but we tend to glamorize the the life of a jockey in comparison to other athletes, other you know high quality elite athletes. We when we glamorize it in the media, we talk about how they make these enormous sacrifices. We talk about how their um, nutrition, uh, the the demands on them physically over their entire career. I mean, we still to to this day talk about the fact that Leicester smoked cigars and drank champagne in a, a slightly 
you know, glamorous way of looking at things. That there needs to be progression. You know, does the existence of or did the existence of saunas was that seen as progression? I mean, I don't know. I'm not a jockey. They can tell you more than me. But from what Jerry Hill has said and the science behind it, whilst saunas may not be the best answer now, so in the long in the long term they might be the best answer now. But in the long term, we want to be moving to a, a situation where these elite athletes that we have riding for us um, are are dealt with at the same level as other sporting stars, where you know their ability to go out properly prepared, not dehydrated, and not operating at a slightly lower level. Um, I know Tom Marquand said, you know, small percentages, but could we not have a situation where these athletes are so well prepared uh, in terms of their hydration and what they've eaten and the way they've looked after themselves? Where Are we not working towards getting them spot on as opposed to operating slightly below uh, a level that they ought to be doing it? At? I mean, it's just something that I've been thinking about over the years, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we can maybe i don't know whether it's an increase in weight or or the minimum weight or whether or not there's better nutrition or whether there's a better way of doing things but is saunas the correct answer for the long term well uh, just I, I, there's been a lot of last wording here but uh, genuinely this is the, just a final point or, or two maybe uh, it is Ru- your podcast ruby walsh last year uh, in response to jennifer Pugh's plans to outlaw saunas in ireland said the beauty of a sauna is that it actually leaves you dehydrated for less time because you're doing it right close to the race. So you're not, you know, dehydrated. If you just need to nip a pound off or, or a couple of pounds off, you're doing it right up on the race. So, I mean, I don't know whether the, the, the science backs it up, but he's saying that he felt better being able to do it last minute rather than having to, you know, sweat all morning and and, and what have you. I guess everybody's different. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's worth noting now no saunas in Ireland. And haven't been saunas yeah. in France for some time. Yeah. No saunas in New South Wales, and so and 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 on it goes. So uh, this is going to run and run for a little. Can I ask one last question? You Sorry. can. Do you want to know what the PJA's response this morning was? Well, I'd love to know that. Yes. So I have been engaging with uh, with Dale Gibson at the PJA, and he did say so, this kind of leads to what I want. My last question would be. So how are we going to fix this? What's going to happen? Is that is there going to be a direct conversation between the jockeys and the and the authorities? All right, here we go. Remains incredibly hectic as ever. This is very much ongoing. And we continue in conversation with the BHA, Dr. Jerry Hill, and senior jockeys. We have arranged to discuss the next step in person shortly. Would you like to move on to the racing? Uh, let's do that. Yes, lovely. I have got a little bit of news for you, which I did flag up at the oh. beginning of the show, and it reg- it's regarding the Keeneland Phoenix Stakes, which takes place this weekend, and which, in addition to all the normal places, you can see this. I don't know if you knew this, Rishi. I don't know if you're working this weekend. You can see this on ITV4, the Keeneland. Exciting times. Yeah, and it, it it's at the moment looking to pit the uh, might of Bally Doyle against the... Mm. Um, not quite might, but still significant <laughs> strength of, of ammo racing. And I put in a call to Bally Doyle uh, earlier on this morning, and uh, Aidan O'Brien told me that he was not going to run both River Tiber, the Coventry Stakes winner, mm-hmm. and Unquestionable, who was right. Buccaneiro Fuerte last time in the Railway Stakes. He said he yeah. would either run one or the other of, oh. the, uh, of the two. Colts by Wooden Bassett. Don't forget Buccaneer Fuerte's by 
by Wooten Bassett as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so he'd either run either River Tiber or Unquestionable, plus one other to keep them company. So he's okay. run two in the race, either River Tiber or Unquestionable, plus one other. Now, the, the one that doesn't go to the Keeneland Phoenix Stakes will run in the following weeks pre morning And I've also been speaking to Tom Pennington, the racing manager to Keir Drabjian's Ammo Racing. Uh, they have Buccaneer Fuerte engaged, Valiant Force, the Nor- uh, Norfolk Stakes winner, and Launch as well. And I asked him what their running plans were for the Phoenix Stakes. Um, Nick, morning. As things stand, um, Buccaneero Fuerte is the likely runner. Um, and Launch could possibly go in there as well. Um, Valiant Force is penciled in for France a week later. Option and... Yeah, the, the ground, it looked, the weather in Dover looks very dry, and I think he's a quick round horse, so we'll probably end there with him. So, yeah, Buccaneer Fuerte seems to be the number one target. Um, this has been the plan since Ascot. He's trained very well since then. Agent and the team are delighted with the progress he's shown on the back of his win in the railway stakes. Um, he's come forward from them, we think. So, yeah, all systems go for Saturday. Uh, and given the fact that you've got a big outsider in there, I know it's folly to say, given that you've had 151 Ascot winner this year, but is launch in there to guarantee a good pace for Buccaneero Fuerte? He he does look a, a, a he's a fast horse, clearly, but he does look a strong stayer at the trip. Yeah, I mean, look, look, you, you saw what happened in the railway. We had um, we had a nice target there to aim at. Um, I think a strongly a strongly run six furlongs is what he needs at the minute. Um, I'm sure the Cornwall team will have their ideas how the race will plan out but you know I, I think as long as there's a, a good gallop um, you know it will be super competitive uh, and as far as Valiant Force is concerned you mentioned going to, to Dobiel I'm guessing that's for the, the pre-morning next weekend you do think he's a horse who will who will be as effective over six furlongs as he has been at five uh, yeah look he showed a great turn of foot at Ascot but um Look, having spoken with again with Adrian and the team this week, you know they think that he might go to the Breeders' Cup and he'd get a mile in, in America. So I think six furlongs will be well within his compass on a on a on a sound surface. I think the key to him is is quick ground. Okay, we'll look forward to seeing both of them. What news on on the big horse, King of Steel? Is is, is the Judmont in the mix, or is Roger Roger's plan to give him a break? Still, still, still the one that he's holding to. So I had a good conversation with Roger yesterday. We we're obviously discussing plans for Champions Day and where we were going to go. We were tossing up a few things, and we we penciled him in for the Champion Stakes. We were we were discussing maybe the QE2 because you know how the ground can get there, and but we decided against it. Um, Short term plans. Look, he's come out of. Ascot very well, but he had a hard race. I think the ground was slower there than um, Ascot maybe made out, but he ran a, a super race. And in hindsight, we, 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 we're convinced now he's a 10 furlong horse. Will York come too soon? Maybe. Um, look, we, we put him in uh, the Irish Champion Stakes, and at this age, I think that's where we'll probably be heading. All right, so there you go. I think we've picked our way through and got where we need to get. What would you do, Rishi? Where, where would you go if you were Aiden with, with River Tiber and Unquestionable? I think it could be a, a ground issue. I suspect that the ground is going to yeah. be easier at the Curra than it's going to be at uh, at Deauville. Well, I'd probably go to the Curra with River, T- River Tiber. I mean, he did win on soft ground first time up by a long, long way. Um He's the for, for me. He's one of the best six furlong teals that we've seen this season. So, uh, you know, he'd have the beating on the Coventry run of um, his rivals. So I'm happy to. I'd be happy for him to go there. Unquestionable. I thought ran really well behind Buccaneer Fuerte um, in the railway stakes of the car. He's only narrowly beaten. I thought he was going to win 
and then just got headed on the line. Um, so I would switch him to or See, that, send him to the, to the morning. That's why I think they'll go the other way. Because I think, I think Aiden and Ryan will think we should have beaten Buccaneer Fuerte last time. In fact, I'm sure of it. I thought Unquestionable was all over the winner. And I think they'll think they can win this with him. And that River Tiber, who might be the, the slightly higher achiever at the moment, and might be taking on a slightly different calibre of opposition in the morning, might be the one for the morning. I reckon that's the way they'll play. Mm-hmm. I think they'll go Unquestionable here in River Tiber in the morning, if I was, was going to guess. Okay. I would say they think River Tiber is a better horse than Unquestionable and that he would beat Bucanera Fuerte. Um, so let's let's keep that in our pocket. Another group one. What would be 18th Phoenix Stakes? So. Um, wow, unbelievable, isn't it? Unbelievable. He's probably not going to win the Prix Jacques Le Marois this weekend. Uh, I think uh, our, our correspondent earlier in the week, Neil Callan, is going to win that with triple time for for Kevin Ryan. Where mm. would money be there? Up against a big rock, of course, for uh, Christopher Head. And also Erevan for Jean-Claude Rouget coming back. Yeah. Looks like Ernesto's coming back as well. In Spiral, the defending champion, she's going to wheel around and have another go. I rang Teddy Grimthorpe actually today because Nashua's still in the race. He said that'll come too soon. Maybe the Jean Romanet the following weekend for her. Yeah, I, oh, I thought I, I thought triple time was brilliant at Royal Ascot because I couldn't believe he did what he did in the closing stages of the race, having raced keenly in the early part of the contest. Um, is I, I remember speaking to Kevin Ryan earlier in the season at York at the Dante meeting. And I mentioned to him about triple time and heading for the, the, the Queen Anne. He was actually might've been just before the lockage. I'd tell a lie. It was just before the lockage and he was adamant that he would win the lockage, even though it was a massive price. And I was a little bit surprised by that because I thought, you know, he, he would have to step up significantly. Kevin Ryan was in no doubt whatsoever that he had a massive winning chance in the lockage. I still doubted him when we turned up at Royal Ascot for the Queen Anne and I must have, you know, I would have let, had taken any bets after the first two full of the race that uh, he would win the race. I, I couldn't, I, I really couldn't believe how well he won the Queen Anne considering that. He must have a massive engine. He must be a top, top horse to do what he did at Royal Ascot. So I would, I would stand with him. All right. Well, yesterday on the show, Lee Mottisette and I briefly discussed and had a bit of fun with the idea um, put forward by Racing Victoria CEO Andrew Jones that amongst technological developments in the sport could be the routine miking up of jockeys in races, which has received the support of uh, several industry professionals uh, here and in Australia, and notably Melbourne Cup winning rider Michelle Payne has lent her support to the idea. But for all our best intentions, how can practical and administrative and logistical difficulties impede progress in this area? I've been speaking to Nathan Horrocks, now based in California, the founder of JockeyCam, and Equine Productions, and asked him how he set about trying to change the way the sport looks to appeal to a, a broader fan base. When we when we first started, uh, you know, Jockey Cam in 2015, and, and Jockey Cam, as as some of the stuff that we're all talking about, is not new. Um, when we first launched that in 2015, what we had to do was we had to make sure that this, uh, you know, what the device they were wearing was made safe. So we you know, we spent nearly three years developing this technology to make sure it was safe for the rider to wear 
um, and also that uh, the quality of, uh, of what the um, you know the, the, the camera was shooting mm. was uh, was of quality for the you know for the broadcasters to use. So you know there is a there is a way of go- going through this. But what's what's been difficult in 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 particular in in horse racing is um, you know the, some of the some of the loopholes we have to jump through. You know making sure that we have permissions from the you know from the trainers, from the owners, from the jurisdictions. Sometimes none of us are all we're not all singing from the same hymn sheet. And um, you know when we when we you know launched Jockey Cam, you know we uh, it was it was great success. You know in 2015 we had it on, on many clouds, and you know we won the Grand National, and uh, and you know, we were using it on a regular basis for Channel Four racing. Unfortunately, it hasn't kind of grown since then. Um, we barely use it on ITV these days. Uh, they use it every now and again, you know, at Ascot or, or some of the larger meetings, but. Um, you know, here in the US, we it's used on a on a regular basis. It's used every day in every race at, at two or more racetracks uh, for FanDuel TV. And the great thing about that is is that um, you know the broadcaster uses it for for many things. You know, the likes of uh, you know uh, looking at uh, analysis and helping grow the sport and helping people understand what it's actually physically like to ride in a race because none of us do know what that is like you know only the the few of us that have actually ridden a race understand what that actually feels like so the nearest thing to to kind of give the audience that feeling is actually showing them and now that's what's great about having this live view is to um, give the audience the um, you know the understanding of how difficult it is out there for our human and equine athletes, and it uh, and it also helps promote the sport. Mm. It gives the you know an, an audience a, 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 you know a wider a wider view of what it's physically like. One thing we really really do need to do is, without the fan, we're all out of the job. You know, we need to engage fans. We need to be entertaining, and we need to make sure that we're you know that we're entertaining fans. You know. I'm sure eyes are going to roll when I say this, but we've just, you know, we've seen it with how Formula One have done it, and um, and they've been a huge success. And it, they weren't a success just because of a Netflix series. When Liberty Media paid four billion for the rights uh, to the sport, there was a strategy behind it. They were, you know, they wanted to gain more eyeballs on the sport because they know that they knew they had a great product to sell. We also have a great product to sell, and we just need to make sure that we're all singing off the same hymn sheet. We all need to be looked at and and act like a global sport rather than just working with our own little jurisdictions and, um, you know, make sure that we're uh, gaining more eyeballs on our sport because without the fan, we're all done. I mean, Nathan, one of the things that interested me was you've been doing a lot with the, the VR animation, the simulator, but that's not been paid for by a television company. Or indeed, been funded by the sport. It's been it's been funded by a bookmaker, which I don't. I, I'm good. Well done to them for doing it. But it just I just sort of think, well, why isn't this just part and parcel of of how we cover the sport? Whether it's Sky Sports Racing, Racing TV, ITV, or or whoever the the people who are actually supposed to be, you know, taking the sport forward technologically. No, ag- agreed. I mean, you know, Coral and um, and Brit- British Champion Series have been have been great at uh, you know uh, using the, the VR experience as, as a fan engagement tool. And um, you know, what's great about that is, is is you don't only just do that with um, you know at the racetrack. You can take this to you know to, to to the wider world. Really, you know, you don't have to bring the fans to the races. You can take the races to the fan, which has been which has been really good. But um, it's the same thing when we did the uh, Horsepower Series. You know. Um, there was a lack of um, energy from our broadcasters to help us promote it. 
um, you know, and, and, and also, you know, that the amount it cost us to, um, you know, for the actual rights to the to the footage, you know, we weren't expecting it to be so expensive. So that kind of et into our, um, you know, our marketing budget, really. So, you know, sometimes we don't, uh, you know, we don't work together to try and promote the sport as one as one big family, really. And that can sometimes be a, a bitter pill to swallow. But, um, you know, thankfully, some jurisdictions are working together. You know, we're seeing this all this, um, you know, drama in, in you know, in, in other jurisdictions that happens. And, you know, we, we're not alone in this in Britain. But, um, you know, if we can all come together as one big racing, horse racing family and promote the sport, we, we will win. I, I, you know, I can guarantee you, like I say, we've seen, we've already seen that with other sports, in particular the Formula One. All right, that was uh, Nathan Horrocks, the founder of Equine Productions and Jockey Cam, uh, discussing the way that he has picked his way through racing's administrative minefield when trying to develop new technologies for broadcast. And, you know, Richard, you and I have both been working in, in horse racing broadcasting for 20-odd years, and mm. it, you could make quite a case that, that there haven't been maybe the technological steps forward that, that we might have anticipated in, in 2002. Correct. Um, I, uh, I think you know a number of people have mentioned the fact that racing hasn't quite advanced the way other sports might have done or have done in recent years with uh, regards to innovative broadcasting. Um, the mic thing was tried. Um, it was tried. Uh, I, I was part of the BBC broadcast at Epsom many years ago that put a mic on Hayley Turner during a, a race um, at the spring meeting, um, which actually it was quite it was very interesting for the viewers, and it was well well spoken of afterwards. When uh, I don't know if anybody can recall it, I think Frankie was riding the um, Blythe Knight for Ed Dunn. I can't remember for certain, but I'm going to go with that for the moment. And Haley Turner mic'd up, and I was in the the, the truck that followed the van that followed the, the race course round, and I actually linked live during the race to let's hear what's going on via Haley Turner's mic. And Haley Turner just at that moment um, actually said, Frankie said he was going well, and Haley Turner said, "Well, let me know when you're ready, and I'll let you out." And of course, it was extraordinary to have heard that conversation during the race. Um, and we thought, oh, brilliant, that was really good TV and it would go down well. Uh, but of course, it created quite a lot of backlash um, because uh, that everyone seemed to now believe that there was a great deal of collusion going on and that Hayley Turner's horse running out of options. So she just let another horse win, um, which I'm not sure that's quite what happened. Uh, but of course, it, it then died a death. Um, Frankie was indeed riding Blyde Night in the city in Suburban. Oh, was that the race? The city? That's it. Yeah, big That's it. A big feel for the city and sub field of six. Yep. Haley Turner yep. on Scottish River, the outsider. That's the one. Sixteen run a field. Haley Turner doing seven stone seven. Those were the days. <laughs> oh gosh! Wow. Um, so I mean, I I, I think it, it would be great to trial it. You know, trial the mic. And I heard you and Lee yesterday talking about you know Aiden talking to Ryan during a race or um, or, or Sir Michael etc it would be quite interesting to see whether that would ever happen um but it would add a different dimension to how we would view a race when um a jockey would have a second pair of eyes to help them i mean how would john gosden have advised frankie notori on stradivarius if in the, the gold cup last year if the broadcaster could talk to the jockey during the race as well that would be insane wouldn't it can you can you imagine it, it was a bit do you remember when um the late shane warne that's one of my favorite oh, yeah. on on youtube is when 
the the commentators go to him and say, "What are you going to do now?" <laughs> he yeah. describes what his next delivery is going to be, and then he bowls it, and the guy's out. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Right, yeah, okay. I mean, that's that's the sort of thing that would be you know memorable forever, and it would be, it would be great to try it. It would be great to try it. What's the harm in in trialing something like that? Can you imagine? I mean, why, why, I don't know why they don't trial it at something like the racing league. I mean, you could imagine that you go go over. We're going to head over to Ryan Moore with three furlongs to run, just approaching the cutaway of the yes. of the of the uh, of the Nassau stakes. That's Ryan, correct. yeah, hi. What are you what are you doing now? Well, I'm going to make sure the French guy doesn't. <laughs> uh, that would be terrific. I mean, are you not surprised that they haven't done more on the racing league, for example, or even the Sunday series? Where I think, you know, ben, in fairness, slightly different. Definitely. Sorry? In fairness to the founders of the Racing League, um, Jeremy Ray, and I remember when Ollie Harris was still yeah. they actually had some pretty big plans to do stuff like this. But again, you need, you're going to need to shake yeah. race magic money tree. And there, there wasn't anything coming out of it. Because if you unless you get mm. big enough corporate sponsors who've really got some proper commercial heft, which they didn't have, yeah. you're not going to be able to pay for that kind of that kind of technology unless yeah. unless you say to the broadcaster, right, dig right into your production budget and it comes out of there. And the yeah. broadcaster saying, "Well, hang on a minute, I'm, I'm delivering you 100 and whatever days of racing. You know that's that's unviable given how much money I have to spend on Cheltenham, Epsom, Aintree, Ascot, and all the other things I've committed to. So, yeah. it, it is it is it is tough, but it it needs big big commercial partnership, I think, in order to in order it, to facilitate that in this country anyway. Well, one of the things that would help would be the agreement from say the riders and the trainers to to do it. Do because, it, yeah. You know, one of the if. if I'm certain this year at the at the Masters Golf Tournament, obviously one of the biggest events in the sport. Um, they put a mic on Rory McIlroy or AirPods on Rory McIlroy walking on the fairway one one day to talk to him about what how his round was going and what he was doing on this particular hole and how he was feeling about his game in the middle of a round, which you know. Okay, I know nowadays they actually walk down the fairway occasionally at some of the smaller tournaments talking to the players. Um, but I thought that was, you know, the fact that they got Rory McIlroy uh, to agree to do that on on air at one of the great, you know, one of the biggest events in the sport, one of the biggest events in sport to do that was an extraordinary get. Um, and it certainly had a lot of people talking about it. And it's become something that they do often now. So it, it can be done at the highest level. So I'm not sure, um, you know, what, apart from money, <laughs> what the obstacles would be. And I do, as you say, you've got to have, and as Nathan touched on, you've got to have the buy-in from the participants and the and the. Right. We're going back to where we started this podcast. I remember 2015. I don't know if you were on that show. You you might have been. Mm-hmm. You were on the St. Ledger show in 2015 with Simple Verse. Getting yes. Into- yeah. And do you remember? Yeah. I mean, it was a very uh, highly adrenalized show to be on. Yeah. And uh, we had amazing access into the weighing room at Doncaster. And you got those amazing yeah. shots of Andrea Zania, Colmo, Donahue, and that Zania's hand. Yeah. Ed and O'Donoghue going, you know, mercilessly celebrating, yeah. and yes. then being consoled by Hannig- uh, by Hannigan as he Paul yeah. Hannigan went back into the into the jockeys' room, and it was they were really powerful images. I mean, some of the best TV I've been involved with, and then absolutely the, the PJA went were were not happy, and 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 that that was the end of that effectively in terms of what you could the scope of what you could show in and around the the the, the jockeys' room, the stu- the weighing room, the stewards' room. And it's it, you can argue about the that till you're blue in the face about whether it's right or wrong, but there's no doubt that mm. as a viewing experience, 
Yep. Agreed. Stuff like that has yeah. made us has put us in in into retrograde. Well, I, I understand professional athletes protecting each other. You know, even yet yesterday, I don't know if you saw the penalty shootout in the or the day before yesterday in the England Nigeria uh, last sixteen game. But the Nigerian goalkeeper went down after England scored the winning penalty. The game was over. They'd won on penalties, and the Nigerian goalkeeper was crying. And the England players, what kind of England players, went to her and picked her up and first thing they did was the camera had got really close the first thing the england players did was to put their hand in front of the camera to protect the nigerian players emotions so i understand that this is sort of like a a, a sixth sense a reaction perhaps a, a, a reflex reaction to protecting the athletes in a moment of of high emotion um but it was it was fascinating viewing you know as a as a fan as a sports fan watching it seeing both the reaction of the nigerian goalkeeper but also the england players going to them to yeah. to be consoling i mean you know you, you think the ashes and freddie flintoff and brett lee and all that sort of stuff it it's it's visual images that leave a lasting impression on the sport for a long time Exactly. So yeah, and Adzani was Chimaka and Adozi and and uh, and Hannigan was was the England team. Good knowledge. Um, we try. We try. <laughs> Obviously, the year is racing on, and entries were released yesterday for the uh, British Champions Day, which takes place on the twenty first of October this year. Um, I'm joined by Fred Motley from British Champions Series just to to spin us through some of the the key races, the key entries uh, overall. Fred, it, it looks a a very strong entry. Where do you want to start? Should we start at the start at the beginning with the long distance cup? Yeah, uh, thanks, Nick. Yeah, all five of the feature races uh, have the potential for for mouth watering heavyweight clashes that we know racing fans love to see. Starting with the uh, Kipco British Champions Long Distance Cup, um, you know the returning Kiprios, who, who we've not seen all year. He's he's due to hopefully have an awesome campaign. He he's listed and and could be lining up against this year's Group One winners in. Courage Mon Ami and, and Quick Thorn. Um, while, while you've still got the intriguing possibility of True Shan going for a, a record fourth win in the race, he and Holly Doyle have become standing dishes on on Champions Day over the last three years. So I'm sure they'd they'd raise the roof if they managed to pull that off. Um, kind of going going further through the card uh, onto the sprint, uh, Shaquille uh, could be bidding by that stage. Obviously, there's still a bit of time to go, but he could be bidding to emulate. Muhara in going through a three-year-old sprint campaign undefeated. Uh, he'd face the likes of, of last year's winner, Kin Ross, uh, amongst others. Um, and, and then into the Phillies and Mares, you're, you're looking at Emily Upjohn taking on the uh, the challenge of the three-year-old Phillies and, and highlighted by Irish Oaks winner, Save the Last Dance, among others. Um, but I, I think the the real feature race, which which we're most excited about, um, looking at the uh, the really stacked quality of the card, is is the Kipco Champion Stakes. Uh, you know, it features seventeen Group One winning horses, uh, headlined by Paddington, uh, who has emerged as the real star of the flat season so far. Uh, he could face the likes of unbeaten French Derby winner Ace Impact. Uh, you know, last year's Kipco Champion Stakes winner Bay Bridge, Mostadaf. This year's Derby One Two in in August, Rodan and King of Steel are also entered. You know, it, it really is just a race oozing with with star quality. Um, and if if Paddington uh, Paddington's connections didn't wish to kind of take on that challenge, there is also the the option of dropping down to the QE Two, where he is he is also entered and. We saw it at Goodwood last week. He's he's so effective over a mile that um you know they they really do have options. And if he were to divert there, then uh, he'd face a slightly different challenge of 
of Inspiral to Hera, Triple Time and, and possibly Chaldean as well. So, yeah, just a, a card stacked full of quality and um, something that no doubt racing fans can, can get excited about. And that's before you've even added in the fact that Frankie de Tori's uh, final day riding on a British racecourse will be on Champions Day as well. And what have you got plans to uh, to celebrate that, Fred? Uh, there's, there's real extra focus this year on on making the, the the on-course fan experience as as engaging as possible. You know, it's a huge moment for the sport and um, with Frankie departing, and we'll be making sure that we mark that appropriately. Uh, the day is already packed with action off the off the course. So the crowning of the champion jockey, the champion apprentice, the champion owner, uh, the fan zone will be back and bigger than ever, uh, hosting jockey masterclasses and jockey signings. Uh, the latest members of the Hall of Fame will be inducted, uh, and of course there'll be, you know, a huge after party as well. Um, and um, alongside all that, we'll be we'll be marking the end of Frankie's um, peerless career uh, in in style. And details of that will be announced in the coming weeks. We're working with the Ascot team to make sure that it's it's really rounded off in quite spectacular style. Brad, thanks so much for talking to me this morning. Best of luck with it. Thanks very much, Nick. Okay, thanks to Fred. Mouthwatering stuff. The Champions Day, twenty first of October. Um, deep, deep into the year, and uh, Rishi is still with me and has some mm. for you for today. Well, Nick, today's a good day. I'm hoping. Um, I think that good think day because you're, you're off on holiday, aren't you? Tomorrow, I'm ho- off on holiday tomorrow, so the sun's where, shining today, which is where, typical, isn't it? <laughs> where are you? Where are you going? Uh, I think I'm going back home to the Caribbean for a bit. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. Just for a, just for a little break. So you um, you're going back to. Trinidad, a few days in Port of Spain. I'll have a a dip there, yes. Um, but I'm actually I'm going to link you link it beautifully, Nick. As always, that's the brilliance of your broadcast. Going to Barbados, yes. Uh, oh, Michael Stout, the uh, greatest Bajan of all time, with the exception of Malcolm Marshall, perhaps, and Rihanna. Yeah, he has got point given. Not the point given, but point given. A son of Blue Point running today at Pontefract. He made a really smart debut at Doncaster under the perfect introductory ride from Richard Kingscott. Um, he runs today at Pontefract. Ryan Moore's riding. That he's a short price, but I'll be I'll be surprised if he's beaten. But I'll give you one other that I think might be a decent prize, Nick. That I quite like the look of. It's the last race at Kempton tonight. Um, there's a horse called Seastone who's got an outstanding pedigree. He's only run once on the All Weather, and he won at Kempton. Uh, he's back on the all weather tonight. He ran a couple of really good races at Maidan earlier in the season. Soft ground last time, put a line through that. Owen Lewis um, is the apprentice taking seven pounds off, which I think would be really handy for him. He's back on the all weather at Kempton tonight. So, Seastone at a decent price, double figures maybe. All right. So, Sir Michael Stout, Malcolm Marshall, and Rihanna. You're saying the big three, the, yeah. big, the big three Bajans of our time. You're, you're off to Barbados, <laughs> where it is rainy season. And uh, in the words of Rihanna, <laughs> you will be underwear. Uh, no, don't worry. It's all right in the rain in the Caribbean. It's fine there. And I'll send you a photo Under anyway, don't worry. For Ella, 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 Ella. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.